Well, welcome to, uh, welcome to church this morning. If, yes, it is. It's our second anniversary um, of opening. And uh, I've sort of made a, bit, made a bit of a deal of it without making much of a deal with, of it. But um, yeah, it was two years ago. And uh, what a couple of years it's been, hey? For those who've been here since the beginning, all three of us, uh, six of us. <laughs> It, 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 sort of, it sort of grew pretty quick, and um, uh, many reasons behind that, but we, uh, we, we hold that very loosely as well, and we don't take ourselves too seriously here. Uh, it's not about a brand, it's not about a personality, it's certainly not about ego. Um, but I want to talk to you today a little bit about how and why we started and where we're going, just to bring that clarity, but really reflect that straight from the Scriptures. And um, we're, anyway, let me go there later on. If you are new... If you are new here today, and there are quite a few visitors, um, it all begins with a card. Fill in that little card, or there's one online that says Connect Card. Do that, and I'll make contact with you personally, and I'd love to catch up with you and just talk about how we can help your story a little bit. Um, a few announcements quickly. Youth, the Mad Teenagers start again this Friday. It's back on. KC Kids, so our kids' church starts again next Sunday. Um, the 4.30 services that we're starting was going to start next week. Uh, a few of the key part of the team for that can't be here next week, and I'm not going to do it on my own. I'm just not going there. We're doing this as a team. So we're going to put it off one week. So uh, it's still going ahead. But even better than that, and that's good enough, uh, our new pastor, Zelvin, is flying in on now the 10th of May, I hear. His flight's got for brought forward another couple of days. So um, I'm like the guy, Duncan, you'll appreciate this. I'm, I don't run, but I'm the runner at the marathon, and you get lactated up 100 metres from home, and the... <laughs> Get here, Zelvin. He's coming here. And um, so he'll really add energy to the nighttime services and a lot of other things, the youth, the young adults, and you watch, you watch what God does uh, in the next uh, couple of years. You think he's done some things so far. You watch what happens. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. So two years ago, yeah. Oh, sorry. If you've come prepared to give, I know I, I do, uh, I don't emphasize this hugely, but if you've come prepared to give today, we have a cash box out the front. We do just ask our regulars just to pray about giving and do that through our online means. Uh, if we can, it helps us to budget, helps us to know what we're working with there. Brilliant. Well, two years ago we started and uh, it's been a wonderful time. It, it, my, my ministry life, which has started long before um, I came on staff as a pastor anywhere, this has been my greatest experience of ministry. I, I haven't enjoyed anything as, anywhere near as much as what we've uh, experienced here. But a lot of people have worked really, really hard um, to make what we take for granted a little bit every Sunday possible. Uh, God's done what only God could do. We've, we've been given a great facility. Uh, the Lord knows I don't do working bees. Hey, I, I, uh, I'm not a huge fundraiser. So he found a way because the mission that we're on about was so vital, he found a way for us just to so here, just start there and, uh, and made all possible that we're doing. We're not, not distracted by all those other things. And so it's been a story, and many of you will know that I was personally very reluctant to come and start this church. I was pretty committed with what I was doing on the north side, as were, was Michaela and her husband Fred and Linda and Caleb and so. And uh, we weren't really interested in moving, to be honest, and coming back down here and selling houses and doing all that kind of thing. And, um, but I finally did ask God, uh, because uh, after three months of being nagged and badgered, I, I think I, I really should pray about this, and the Lord spoke incredibly clearly. Um, you know, and he said to me, crystal clear, I've had you on a journey for 15 years about a mission, and uh, this is the next step, and I just need you to stop whinging and get on with it. He didn't say stop whinging. I, I read between the lines there. Uh, he just said, get on with it. But, but, but what is that journey? What's this journey that he's had me on personally, and not just myself, but many other leaders globally? Um, 
And before I started on that journey as well, there's been a rattling going on. There's been a shaking happening in the church world now for probably 20 years, 25 years, as we've had to reconsider how church works and how it's going to work into the future. And, and um, I'd been, I'd been, I had a holy irritation in my soul, and I have done for a long, long time now, that we've, uh, in, the, in the church world, the Christian world in the West, that we've relied so much on the form of Christianity that we've lost, we've lost the heart. There's so much of how the church, early church started um, that made it so powerful, that made it turn the world right side up. We've, we've taught ourselves through various means how to do church without that help, in many ways, if I could be that blunt. We've figured out a way, we can just program church, we can turn the right lights on and do a video screen and preach the right message, people are going to turn up. And I don't want to do that anymore. And I said that before we started, and I'm not playing that game. Because Jesus said he will build a church, and he told me to build disciples, one person at a time, and build people who will do that one person at a time. So I've left all this to him. If we get 10 people, that's enough for me. Two will be fine, as long as it's me and Trish. Uh, we'll be right. But it, it seems that, that he has more that he wants to do, and I want to cooperate with that. But, the, but the, the big issue for me was learning how to viably, credibly, powerfully live from this gift of the Holy Spirit that comes from the cross, and how to live that out and not rely on formulas and functions and theology uh, that's, that's, you know, and creeds that are man-made and, and forms and liturgies, as good as they are, as, as, as holy as their function can be, as valuable as they can be. But if we lean on those things and we've lost the heart, then we've got nothing, nothing. You know, if we've lost the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and the huge majority of Christians globally still have very little concept of what it means to live from the power of the Holy Spirit, not just trying try to live for God and, and live up to the expectations of what they think the Christian life is. That's a big deal. The other big deal is that we would become disciples who can just grow disciples, that there's a multiplication aspect, that we, that we are so full of the Spirit that we go out and we have to go and fill others. Filling hearts, fueling mission, that's our, our mantra here, that we, that we become replicating people. And the third issue comes from that, is that we become churches that replicate churches. Because what I found is that the one thing that people want the most is a church about this sort of size. We're, we're, we're foolish today, and, um, but we don't want to get much bigger than this. Because the, the way churches and people are working now, we don't necessarily want to get just bigger. Let's just get a bigger room. We want to connect. Our goal is not size, our goal is relationships, isn't it? This is what we want. We want to connect with God and we want to connect with people. But that whole thing conspires against itself. If you've been in the mechanics of church world like I live for so long now, you begin to see that the thing that people want the most becomes the thing that's hardest to find because it's very hard to do good quality programs and leadership and so on. And so big, bigger mega churches are still getting bigger, or they were until COVID, and smaller churches are getting smaller. And so I was formulating a vision in my head before the Lord asked us to start this thing. And it wasn't a Baptist vision. I was a Baptist then. It wasn't a Pentecostal vision. I was a Penny before that. Um, it's a Christian vision. It's a vision of the New Testament. It's a vision for me. I can't really walk past the book of Acts and, and the epistle to the Ephesians. It just seemed when the church gets it right, the world gets set on fire. Hearts get set on fire. There are riots and there's commerce influence. There's politics have changed. When people get, get so full of God, it's got to overflow into their life. And so for me, I boiled down over a, a number of years, what are the, what's the irreducible core that we can come back to? Because if we had to start again, if Jesus had come yesterday and, and the Spirit comes today, how would it look now if we had to build the church? Because we're almost at that point in the West. 
where religion has done its job, it's done a job now for 2,000 years, but the world's, the world's closing in fast. Christendom is over. The expectation in the community that we get the church on every corner, the council gives us uh, the allowance for that, that people expect it to be there. Now they're saying, no, we want a pub on every corner, thank you, and a playground on the other one. It's different now. There's no, there's no obviousness about our right to exist. The credo that we take so for granted, like the Ten Commandments and, and, and the Apostles' Creed and all these sorts of things, they're not taken for granted as truth anymore. And so now I like that because now we've got to fight for it. Now faith has to be faith, not a belief system. We take it beyond understanding and take it into reality in our life. So I love that fight. I'm born for that fight. I'm born to find a way you know, to figure out how we can make that work in the current world scene, which is changing so quickly. And so you're part of that story. You probably don't come into the church like this today thinking that way. I haven't got much choice. It's just my world. But you've, you've come into a story and with your story. And your story really, really matters. It's the only one you've got. This is your life. These are your problems. These are your friends that are suffering. It's, it's your spiritual growth and so on. But I, I started going through all these things and I actually, God spoke to us about forming this church long before I had a clue who Churches of Christ were. That's really bad practice. I don't really recommend you do that. Like I, I likened it a few weeks ago, we, we jumped out of a plane without a parachute, just in faith that there'd be a parachute by the time we hit the bottom. We were just saying yes, Trish and I, Makala, Fred, Linda and Kayla, we just said yes. And we had no idea what we were getting into. It, you don't need to when God says jump. But then I got to learn a little bit about our movement, Churches of Christ. I don't know whether you know about that. They're, they're, just as our church is a bit of a fruit salad of every, everyone from everywhere, and somehow we, we, we pull it together and we get on. Churches of Christ started that way. They, they started with that same holy discontent. In the late 1700s and through to the, um, the, uh, the 1840s or so, there was a second great awakening. And a group of people got together and said, creeds are getting in the way of Christ. We've formed denominations that formed the divisions. And the divisions, you know, and, and I'm still a believer in denominations. We, we essentially still are one. And yet formed in a way that's called a movement which says we want to come back to the basics. We want to reread the Scriptures and emphasize what the Scripture emphasizes. No creed but Christ. So we're not going to become overdefined by the way we do things, but defined by why we do things and who we do them with. What an incredibly brave and courageous thing to do at that time of history. But if you follow the history through, as humanity does within two or three generations, there's different branches of getting lost again and gets religious again it gets confined and constrained and there's a new constitution and, and off it goes into error and different things. But there's been this common core of this restoration movement. They're trying to restore the New Testament values, which we're a part of. And it's just the irony of that is that's what this church was started with that in mind, to restore what the New Testament said. If we just read the book and just followed those principles, what could it look like? And I know we still look like a normal church, don't we? On Sunday, we've got the, we've got the screens and the songs and, and all that kind of thing. And yet this heartbeat, which I want to talk about today, is driving us on. I want to come back to the book of Ephesians because Paul, who kicked off that church, and there's a great story through the book of Acts, starts talking to them uh, through this lens of what it looks like when the church gets it right. And he starts off in, in chapter 4 by saying there's one body... One spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were all called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all and in all. He did not see the divisions that we've made in church world over the last 2,000 years. He said there's one body, us, and then not just us, all y'all out there 
all of all y'all out there. Okay, so if you're new, please, that, that language means you're y'all, this is all y'all, and that's all all y'all out there. Okay, it's, it's Texan speak. So he saw that, and when he wrote the book of Ephesians, he wasn't writing to a little fellowship or a church. The Ephesian church, really, the only time they got together was when there was a riot and they were all about to be stoned. So they tended to stay in homes. So he's writing to the church at Ephesus. So it was, it was the all y'all at Ephesus, the churches, all of them, all spread around. And he saw them as one. If he did it today, he'd be writing to the church at Brisbane. You know, all 300 of them. And saying, here is what God is saying. He expected they'd be joined together of purpose. Because he's saying there's one hope, there's one calling, there's one spirit. Guys, why the different logo? Why are we going there? This is threatening, isn't it? It sort of rattles our cage because if you're like me, you defend your holy ground. You've been indoctrinated into a certain holy ground and you think, well, this is how we do things. This is why. And there are good reasons for that until those good reasons get in the way of what God wants to do. So God is identifying here and Paul is saying it's by faith and identity, not by divisions. And uh, he started to say, you churches, you sh- why, why actually, you're all one. Why are you thinking Kenmore Church? Why are you thinking Belbarry? Why are you thinking Turinga? God doesn't think that way. He just thinks one, one body. And so he wrote to those churches in that region. And the way this was structured was what they called back then, and in some, term, in some places now it's, uh, it's taboo, and in other places it's embraced. It's called an apostolic structure. Paul was an apostle. And so the apostolic structure came about where they had sort of centralised governance. So he, was, he was a leader under God and he was training up other leaders like him. So, but they had local oversight over the fellowships. So it was an apostolic structure where there was, there was local contextual um, oversight of the churches. We've sort of morphed into this other, other thing these days, which is autonomy. We say we're all autonomous, all, all us churches are all... And this is the sacred ground of, of many denominations now, that no, we're autonomous, you can't tell us what to do on high, and, and there's good reasons for that, that's fine, until it works against you again. And the trouble with that model is that every, every little church, unless it becomes a big church, is trying to reinvent the wheel. They've got to come up with a vision. They've got to come up with a, a governance and an admin, and they've got to buy their own buildings, and they've got to come up with their training pathways and all that kind of stuff. And that's why the church that we all long for, which is about this sort of size, conspires against itself, because what church can pull that stuff off? It's very hard. You need high-caliber leadership. You need good governance and all that kind of stuff in there. And it's actually quite rare. We're incredibly blessed here because, I guess, because it's the region um, where there are high-capacity people who can do that. So to whom much is given, much is required. And so this church is not just a gift to you. It's a gift to the world. It's a gift to Brisbane. And the onus is on us. The responsibility is here for us to leverage each one of your giftings, to pull it together to serve the greater church regardless of their logo, to serve them, to equip them. And I saw this uh, accidentally up on the north side. We just started doing that because it just made sense to do it. And we had 10, 12 churches gathering together for our courses and our retreats and training and all that kind of thing. And it's just interesting how disinterested people are now in labelling themselves. They just want to come together around this one hope, this one spirit, and learn and grow and go back to their own fellowships and contextualise it there. And so it can work quite well. And so we're doing the same thing here, and, and what we want to do is formalise that a, a little bit more. 
Because my conviction is we need to readopt the core principles of the Apostle Paul's model. A, because it worked. Uh, and B, is that it, it, gives us, it gives us what human beings need. Connection with God, connection with each other, and connection with other churches. One body, one hope. No ego. No brand. It's pretty scary for us to contemplate. But do you think it was not scary to be in the, in the New Testament church? I reckon it was pretty thrilling back then as well. And so I was, I've been speaking to a number of uh, people who know their stuff in this field over the last few weeks, and, and the Lord is saying the same thing comprehensively around the place, that a mega church in a few years' time will not be 5,000 people, it will be eight, uh, 800 to 1,000. And there's a good chance that, that we'll become one of those sorts of fellowships for a, for a clear reason. And I'll, I'll just put that up on screen now. Could you put up the next slide there, Hannah? This is sort of the model that we're working to, if you've ever wondered what's, what's the leadership team up to. It's a, it's a, we're, I'm calling it Leader Hub now because there's leaders in there and it's sort of a hub. <laughs> and the website domain was free, so I registered Leader Hub. <laughs> Leader Hub got everything. I now own them. And, uh, anyway, this is just the Apostle Paul's model. All it is, is there's a centralised apostolic sort of network. There's just a group of leaders. It, it's not, in the middle there is not Kenmore Church. It's resourcing. It's a different thing. It's, it's a group of people who belong to all these different fellowships. We might be one of these. Kenmore Church might become just one of these local churches. But we want to plant churches elsewhere from the word go. We don't want to become a mega thing here. I would want to plant churches this size in Turinga, in Ashgrove, in Bilbao, wherever they need to be, in Graceville, uh, all around those areas. They need strong fellowships like this. And to do that, the only way you can do that is if you have... Um, a lot of the heavy footprint, the heavy governance and the training and the systems done for them. So, so in, you can contextualise that with a beautiful pastor teacher like Simon we had here last week. How could you not love that guy? It's like having Nicky Gumbel in the room. You just go, man, I don't know who you are, but I love you. Like, that's what pastors are like, pastor shepherds. And they raise up other pastor shepherds and have them over those fellowships. But they're, but they're able to do their role because we're doing all the heavy lifting for them. And so as, a, as Kenmore begins to grow, Kenmore will be Kenmore Church, but it will also build this resource hub, and we're beginning to do that right now, behind the scenes. Um, so that's all beginning to happen. So it's sort of resourced centrally, but it's uh, contextualised, and then we can share experiences. So we can get, we might have a, a leader hub that's, that's, that we're running there, and it might have 10, 15, 20 churches. We all come together for shared experiences. We grow leaders uh, and all that kind of thing. I'm actually looking for an accreditation model right now that we can grow leaders and have them accredited so they're recognised cross-denominationally as high-capability leaders because that's the, world, the way the world needs leaders now. We don't need another degree. We need capacity. We need leaders who can lead. And so the story that you've come into the into the room with today is connected to this bigger story. It's a God-sized story. It's a God-sized vision. It's, it's, it started in the 1800s with, the, with Churches of Christ. And we're, when we're, now, we're hitting the reset on that. We're doing it again. God, do it again. Because it happened during the second great awakening. I'm ready for the third great awakening. Where we start getting beyond defining who we are by buildings and budgets and all that kind of thing. And, and you know, we present something that knows no limits. Because what if God wanted to save 10,000 people in Brisbane this year? What if he wanted to do that? How do we create a framework that can, that can not get in the way of that by the size of our buildings and our budgets? How would you do that? You'd do it like this. You have these sort of leader hubs all over the place. It's actually an incredibly simple model. It's a proven model. 
It's all over the place, all over the world in the Western context they're springing up. And so, few of you here are probably here because of the history of Churches of Christ. Some are here because of, of this sort of vision. But most of us are here because we want a place to connect with God and people. We want our children to be discipled and grown. We want all those great things that make up normal church life. And so every week you come in here um, with your story in mind. And I just want to say, if I can say it, because it's very anti-cultural and very off-trend, how important it is to come on a Sunday. Because now, uh, back in my day, uh, it was uh, double Sunday. Everyone would go to church every single week, twice a week. Um, that was just understood. That was just the way we did life. Now, a regular attender is one in three, apparently. Our, our attendance is a lot better than that. But I want to tell you why it matters. It matters because the value that we set on this sets a value to each other of what people are worth. If we get casual about us turning up here, we're saying, you matter casually as well. Because what happens here can't happen out there when you're going for a walk and, and playing tennis. What happens here is, I call it the synergy of faith. It can only happen in this room. The miracles are going to happen today when we pray for people over here or when we pray. They won't happen the same way out there. Because when God's people come together, God is everywhere, yes. But he's, he enthroned, he's enthroned on the praises of his people, the Psalms say. There's something that, that uniquely happens when God's people come together. And there are connections that only happen when we come together. You can't do this via Zoom. I've made the big call last week to say we're not doing 9 o'clock services online now. That was, that was a big call for me because I'm, I want to be on trend. right? But I've realised that within a few months, people would stop being live now going on demand. Like we do with every other form of content. Netflix, on demand. Everything's on demand. Why would I get up at 9 o'clock and say hi there? So, that, so that the six people who've been joining us online at 9am, bless you all, but there's a lot of work, a lot of work goes into that sucker, so we've found an easier way to do that. So the online presence for us is very, very important. It's a gateway for people to see what we're about, but it's not a replacement for this. You can't replace this. This is a non-downloadable environment, we call Amen. it. Right? So you've got to be here for that. So please come. And come as often as you possibly can, because it really matters to the other people who are here. And we'll make room. We're full today, but I, can, I'm, I'm, I won't be surprised if we have the 4.30 service and then the afternoons kick off and then another morning service by the end of the year. It may, it may well happen. We've got to make space for God's people, because they keep coming. But if we don't do that, if we stay in isolation, there's a, there's, if we just keep thinking about this church is just about myself and my story there's a there's a staleness that comes about that and we need to avoid that because it atrophies our soul and, and it stunts stunts us into consumerism and we really only come to life when we get a chance to contribute and to give and we saw that last week with the compassion again we doubled again 24 25 kids now sponsored again through compassion i saw you come to life i turned around and i i didn't know whether to laugh or cry I turned around and I saw a, a, a line almost as long as the width of the church of people lining up to sponsor a kid with compassion. And I thought, man, I love you guys. I love your heart. I love who you are. But, we, but I gave you a chance to give and, and, and you just ran for it. And it's, it's admirable. It's fantastic. And that's what we're about. So let's, let's continue on with what Paul's saying. He goes on in verse 7. He says, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So it's the same conversation. He's saying there's one hope, there's one body, the whole thing, but... To each one of you, grace has been given. Grace, charis, spiritual gifts he's talking about, anointing on your life. And it means your story is part of this bigger story. 
So it is, it is no accident that you're here today. What if you could be a part in your life of what I believe to be a once-in-a-generation opportunity, which is Kenmore Church? And God's called you here, and it's no accident, but he hasn't called you to spectate because I know you don't want to. He's given you grace. And so many of us in the room actually don't even know what that grace is yet. That grace to give, that empowering presence, which is the meaning of that word. He's given us abilities and history and skills and spiritual gifts to contribute to this greater body. Many people here do that through their workplace. They do that in their community. Many of, many of us will do it here and that will influence churches further out as well. And so each person joins uh, and as you join this local body, we become who we're supposed to be because every person plays their part with that grace that God's given you. I wonder if you know what your grace is. But the trick is we've got to hardwire the connection between your story and God's story. Hello, mate. Good to have a fan. <laughs> we, need to, we need to sort of hardwire this thing in because it's really easy these days to sort of just drift in and, and, and out again. But we come, there comes a point where we've got to say, no, I'm welding myself to this thing. Something happens, and I, and I struggle to bring a, a verse around this, but anecdotally, if I can say it this way, because I know it's happened so many times in my own life, is that, you know, you attend something or you, it's like when you go to work, you're just doing it, it's just my job, or you, just, you go to church, that's my church. And then you want to drift and you want to go away, but you don't know, but then one day you think, am I in or am I out? Do I want to do this? Am I going to commit or am I, am I not? And then you make this decision that says, look, Pat's preaching's ordinary at best, the, the worship, you know, whatever. You think, okay, take all that into consideration. At the end of the day, this is my tribe. These are my people. And you realize that when I've found my people, I've found my purpose. And something happens when you say, I'm just putting on that jersey. I'm putting it on. These are my people now. And I'm committed. And I'm committed core deep. I'm in. I'm in with contribution. I'm in with time. I'm in with my heart. And I'm, and I'm going to connect with people. Not because they deserve it, but because this is just my home. And something happens where that grace that's been apportioned to you then gets activated because it stops being a lake and it becomes a river. And suddenly you find fruitfulness. Suddenly you find joy. And the person that ticked you off last week because they worship in such a weird way becomes your bestie. You think, what's just happened? It's grace. Grace comes in because you're committed and somehow hearts begin to join and people begin to join. And it's, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that, you, that no one else in the world gets to enjoy except those who are committed to their local church. It's a mystery, Paul says. It's a mystery, this thing. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And when we commit to what he's committed to, it multiplies the fruitfulness in our life and all things change. And so we try to make that as simple as we can here. And I'm going to just rattle them off quickly. But if you are new, if you're not connected, you're wondering what to do next, if you just go to our website, there's a couple of links that, and menu streams there about connecting in and so on. Um, there's a connect track that I, I would wish that we all do now online. It's just a sequence of videos that talks about what we're about. But we have connection events. There are things you can just meet people. So the guys, we're going go-karting in a few weeks. They're all, everyone's going to destroy me. It's my time to hand over the mantle of king of the track. Um, girls, no. No. <laughs> we have family events. We've got a bring and bry coming up in a couple of weeks at Mount Kutha. All families come and... That's going to be fantastic. Bourvos and Biltong and all those sorts of things are going to happen. But we then, so we have connection events. We have small groups. So after the service today, uh, there's a small group sign on. 
at the back. We need more groups. I know we need more groups. I know there have been people who wanted to get into groups who haven't been able to. So we need host homes to do that. So if, if just let God prompt you. Uh, just ask him, do you want me to do a host home? We just need a few. Uh, and then Julie Williams will be up the back at the end and we'll be signing people on, helping you find the right sort of group and the right time to do that. So get into a small group. That's where you begin to do life. That's been literally the lifesaver for so many of us here. Then you can contribute. You can, you can get involved. There's plenty of ministry opportunities. There's plenty you can do. We have an online form that says, these are all the different ways I, I can contribute and, and that'll come straight to me and I'll, I'll work with you then on that. But then we get to this other level called membership. And in many ways, it looks like a man-made construction. It's like, let's become members of the institution of the church. You know, and legally, that's essentially what, what we're doing. We're saying, I want to become a member of this church. And it's a little bit off-trend. Again, people don't do this sort of stuff. But I believe something happens. When you become a member of a church, you're sort of signing on the dotted line. And membership here in the legal sense just means um, you're one of a group of people and and you get to vote at members' meetings on things like budgets and elders and, and direction. You get, you get a, a say in how all that stuff goes on. I mean, everyone gets a say, but, but the members, we do, they do have separate communications and so on. But, but from that spiritual side, I just believe something happens. You say, no, I'm not, I'm not hedging my bets anymore. These, this is my tribe. I've found my people and I've found my purpose. And so we've got a whole bunch of people that are here today and, and they've really just said, look, yes, I am my brother's keeper. I'm, I am putting my name on the, on the dotted line here. And they're, and they're our members. And we need more members to, to better represent the whole congregation. But what I'd love to do, because we haven't done it yet, and because today is our second anniversary, just to really recognise those who are members and, and pray over them. So if you are a member, um, you've, you've, you've done that. Could I get you to stand uh, just where you are? And, and I'd just love us just to take a moment and just release the spiritual blessing that comes from that. And if you want to become a member, see that they're, they're normal looking people. Um, if you want to become a member, there's an online form there. It's a very simple process. But if, would you join me if you're not a member? And that doesn't mean you're a lesser person here. It just means there's different meetings that you get to. Just, we value attendees just as much. Just hold your hand out in faith that God would bless and anoint these people. So Father, we pray. Lord, we want to recognise the blessing and the commitment of membership. So for each one that's here, I, I, I bless their blessing upon this church. Lord, let their roots go down deep. Father, give them the grace that you've apportioned to them. And Lord, let it grow. And Lord, let our, let our area of influence grow because you're growing them. Lord, I bless them and I bless their homes and I bless their spiritual gifts and I pray you would release them in greater measure. Lord, I pray you'd increase their influence. I pray you'd bless their families and their finances. So that as they contribute, Lord, you would pour more blessing in as they've been found faithful. So, Lord, will you rest upon them? Will you let your hand be upon them? Because, Lord, we all together have the mind of Christ. And so I pray that you would speak to all of us as a prophetic community, that we would hear you, that we would respond to you, and, Lord, we would love each other more grandly. So bless these members in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys, and thank you for that commitment that you've made to this church. That's almost a clap. That's a golf. That's, that's it. Bless your heart. All right, Paul goes further on. I do need to move on. Verse 11, he says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, there, he, there they are, the prophets. Oops, we don't talk about them anymore. Um, <laughs> oh, it's in, the, it's in the book. We've got to say it. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. No one's got a problem with those guys. Um, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up 
until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So he's, he's, again, he's talking about the whole church now. So he's put in place apostles, prophets, evangelists, and so on. He's put them there. The interesting thing is that in the West, we've, we've highlighted the pastoral person as the key leader now. We've, we've somehow evolved it into that the local shepherd needs to be only a pastor. And by doing that, we've, we've actually begun to cut off the value of these other ministries, which need to be part of that, that entire web. But what's interesting here, and I'm not going to get into a, a talk about the fivefold gifts here, that's another day, but he mentions these five giftings, but they're identified by the fact that they equip the people for works of service. And so the prophet is not necessarily the one who says, thus saith the Lord, and that kind of thing. The prophet is someone who raises up a prophetic community. Uh, You see it most clearly these days when you see the spiritual gift of the pastor, the the shepherd working. Uh, Simon, who was here last week, and we've got a number of them here in the church as well. And they, they are, you see them, you can tell a pastor, you can tell a leader in any form, because people start to raise, they start to bring people on a track and raise up people who replicate that gift. They equip the saints for the works of service. So when there's a strong five-fold gift in place in a fellowship or, or a mix of them, you'll see those, that culture beginning to be developed and multiplied. So it's a multiplying ministry, i.e. a leader is one who multiplies. A leader is not someone who just does. Right? A leader is not someone who functions. A leader is someone who raises up people. If they're operating under these sorts of giftings, they're leading people who begin to lead in the same sorts of ways. And, this, and the fruit of this is a church that multiplies. See, one of the biggest challenges we have as local churches is we don't multiply anymore because we haven't quite understood leadership. This, this whole idea of leadership is, is becoming a really big deal and multiplying discipleship. So I've sort of put my foot out because I've, I've, I've wanted to have um, discipleship become a, a major deal here and discipleship that replicates other disciples. Again, off-trend, countercultural in Australia. And yet the Christian church is not the Christian church if we're not multiplying. By definition, if we're not on mission, if we're not multiplying, we're not a church, we're just rotary with worship songs. <laughs> and we had rotary in here the other week. They're lovely people. But Jesus didn't say, I'm going to build rotary. He's building the local church. And a church is on mission. God sent Jesus. Jesus sent the Spirit. The Spirit sends you. But to do that, but we drift and we, we atrophy off and we need a framework that keeps us on track. And so this week I've, I've sort of signed us up and, and I'm as committed as the rest of us now um, in this thing called Building a Discipleship Culture, which is an initiative of Crossway Church in Victoria. Great people, great leadership from there. And I don't believe in reinventing the wheel if the wheel's already running. So I've, I've grabbed their plan and they're working with us now as a church to build a discipleship culture in a very simple um, scalable way. What it looks like is uh, disco- discovery Bible method, which is just we read a few scriptures with a little cluster of people. And I'm, so I'm going to start with a little cluster of people uh, and then that cluster of people does the same thing. Essentially, we read a bit of scripture, we reflect on what it means and then we just ask a simple question, who else could I share this with that, that, that's not a believer? And then these clusters form clusters and this has become, it's a bit of a slow burn but then the church grows and the evangelism starts to happen. Because at the moment, the ratio, do you want to know the ratio of people getting saved to the ratio of people in churches these days? It's one in 100. So there's only one person saved per 100 people in Australian Christianity these days. But the churches who are beginning to use this very, very simple way of sharing the gospel are up to, into tens and fifteens per 100 people in the church now. 
it's a slow burn. It takes probably two years for us to do this. But what it will look like is that I'm starting my little group, then that group's going to start a group, or you can start a group. Four or five people just read the Bible, pass it on, and then that group forms a group and so on. And it just, it just spreads. And that we've seen unbelievers, non-Christians, leading other people to Christ through this message. It's, it's confusing, but it can work that way. And so we're going to be building this discipleship culture. Uh, and it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, I think it's going to stretch and grind a little bit because it gets us out of our comfort zone of, of just living, living our little atrophied cell that way. But I think it's worth doing. So Paul concludes when he says in verse 16, he says, from, from him, from God, from this grace, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. So for 30 years, the Christian world in Australia has been declining numerically. 30 years now. This verse tells me that's unbiblical. That's impossible. That's unacceptable. And I agree. And so our story, your story, which matters so much to you and matters so much to me as well, is part of a bigger story. It's part of a regional story now in Brisbane. It's part of a story here in Kenmore. It's part of God's long-term story and we're going to start next week reading, literally going through the story the Bible, front to back uh, using that resource called the story and all of that story, it's just one it's just one narrative we all know our part but it's part of God's greater story and by joining with us and joining with God on this story uh, then we begin to see that which is acceptable religion that people care for one another, that the church multiplies, we grow, we influence society, 